Welcome to Modern Campus, a podcast by Apogee, managed technology partner to more than 400 colleges and universities around the country. I'm your host, Teresa De Onis, Vice President of Marketing. Here, we'll discuss some of the most pressing and important issues facing higher education today. We're beginning this podcast adventure, so I wanted to say a few words about why we're doing it. To educate, to entertain, to inform, to inspire, and sometimes to garner laughs or maybe even tears. But most importantly, we hope to connect with you. So what can you expect? Through Modern Campus, we'll be interviewing higher education guests, facilitating debates, and sometimes telling our own stories. I'm excited about our first episode titled Equality, Equity, Systemic Racism, and HBCUs. And I'm so honored to have with us our client, Martin Lamell, Executive Vice President and COO of Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana. Martin is a strategic leader and an accomplished professional with remarkable interdisciplinary acumen. He's a respected change agent with a proven track record of organizing and developing teams with superior performance. I'd love to welcome Martin Lamell to our Modern Campus podcast. Welcome, Martin. Thank you for having me, Teresa. It's a pleasure to be with the Apogee team today. We're so glad you're here. So let's dive right in. I have so many questions for you and I can't wait to hop into it. So here we go. I want to talk about Grambling. And one of the things that really has stood out to me is your slogan, where everybody is somebody. There's so much history behind that. Can you give us a peek into that? Absolutely. When we think about the experience here at Grambling, it is rooted in the individual approach to holistic academic inclusion. So a student who starts their experience here at Grambling knows that they are more than a number, that their individual success is important to us. And that's really rooted in our our foundation. And so Grambling State University is able to prepare students for the world and the global marketplace by focusing on the individual need. Wonderful. You know, before we started recording the podcast, you were telling me about Alexis, your first student to graduate with a cybersecurity degree. And that's just so exciting because this has been one of the areas, the STEM fields has been one of the areas where African-Americans have been underrepresented for so long. And HBCUs as a whole are doing such a great job in combating that and making the STEM field something that's attractive to African-Americans and being a field that they want to pursue. Tell me a little bit about the STEM program at Grambling and specifically Alexis. Um, I'm very excited to hear this story again. Sure. And when we think about Grambling's place in the, the STEM arena, Grambling today graduates more African-Americans in computer science and computer information systems than any other institution within the state. We also offer Louisiana's first and at present only bachelor's degree in cybersecurity and in cloud computing. And the superstar that we spoke about is Alexis White, a graduate, upcoming graduate of Grambling State University our first graduate in the cybersecurity program who's had experience in the world of consulting and has 
looking to start a STEM career really represents the, the best of a Grambling student experience. One that's grounded in a great education, but it's coupled with experience in industry and day one readiness for a great career. And so we're excited about her as a leader, as a woman in STEM, as a graduate of an HBCU who's ready to transform the space. Fantastic. For students outside of STEM, because you also have the College of Business, um, the College of Professional Studies, what are other aspects of Grambling that attract students to the school? What's top of mind for them? Grambling is a community. It is a place where you will be celebrated. It is an atmosphere where you can immerse yourself in culture, whether that is the experiences in the arts or athletics, and also focus on being a global leader who's ready to make change day one. And Grambling State University students continue to make us a choice whether that's in business, professional studies like criminal justice or STEM like computer science and cybersecurity, because they know that the return on the investment is ever present. You will leave this HBCU with a world-class education, but more so you will be a real-wounded global citizen who's ready to make change. You said two really important things in there. I would love to dive a little bit deeper into. You talked about the community. And one of the things that we've seen is that HBCUs had a lower number of COVID-19 cases during the pandemic. And administrators are saying this is a testament to that student cooperation and those close-knit communities. What did Grambling do specifically? And, and you can talk about this in terms of the long-term effects of building community, but the short-term realities of the pandemic and the things that you did to foster that community and cooperation. Um, would love to hear a little bit more about that. It's It started for us with engagement. We engaged our students day one as we were learning the initial details around the pandemic. We had students on our task force. We actually recruited three graduate students to be a part of developing some policy and case study materials as a part of understanding the realities of this pandemic. And you're right, community was right at the center of our risk mitigation strategy. The accountability for students within campus living, the accountability for students in groups and social sectors has been very important. We have been able, thankfully, to mitigate a lot of the risks throughout the pandemic. And we've supported our students with, with great technology. Apogee's been a great partner within our campus residential life space, and students have been connected throughout the pandemic. We've ensured that those who wanted to learn completely online had the resources that they needed to be successful. And we focused on education as well. It's no secret at this point that the underlying health disparities within the African-American community have been showcased and highlighted throughout this pandemic. And so there's been a real need for education around healthcare, education around the importance of understanding how that impacts communities of color differently. And so we've had open and honest dialogues with our students. Our students have been very proactive in this next phase of ensuring that other students understand the importance of vaccination and dispelling some myths around vaccinations uh, that exist. And so it has certainly been a community effort 
that we would not have been able to get through without our students being a part of that effort. That's really fantastic. And I think that's what a lot of different colleges and universities missed at the beginning was that it was very mandated and very little student involvement. And so this is quite the success story um, to spread the word that that student involvement and working directly and cooperatively with administration is so important. So wonderful outcomes for Grambling there. The other aspect that I wanted to dive into is that you talked about the return on investment that your students receive by attending Grambling and the financial obstacle of obtaining a four-year degree now is, is very high and you know there's, there's crushing student debt that there's been a long national debate about lowering that level or eliminating it completely so that we don't hamstring our college graduates. But I'm finding in my research that the cost of attendance at an HBCU is 28% less than attending a comparable non-HBCU. And that 40% of HBCU students feel more financially secure during college, as opposed to 29% of African-American students at other schools. Talk to me a little bit about that. What have HBCUs and Grambling done to ensure that college is affordable, that the students don't face that soul-crushing amount of debt when they come out, and that they also feel security while they're there, that they're not suffering from food or housing insecurity. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's, it's something that is constantly on every HBCU leader's mind, and that's the affordability equation for our students, ensuring that we continue to advocate for increased funding at the federal level, whether that's Pell Grants or opportunities to get connected at the state level for additional state appropriations. Advocacy is very important for HBCUs to ensure that we not only have a seat at the table, but that we have an equitable seat at the table because ultimately we are institutions with less resources that are educating students of high need. And so that's always a part of the conversation. We continue to find ways to enhance that experience through great partnerships. One that I am very proud of is our partnership with Sodexo Magic, our food service provider, as well as the company Whataburger, who's helped us to address that food insecurity gap. We currently offer 24-7 dining at Gramlin since the past two years, and that allows our students who are on campus to access food anytime of high quality, as well as a resource center and room where students can go and collect non-perishable items, as well as have an opportunity to engage with other students in a community. So we're always focused on the total student experience, but it gets done through the power of great advocacy and great partnerships. That's fantastic, because it's one thing to recruit the students and actually get them there, but then to ensure that we retain them and that their experience is is a positive one is paramount. And nothing stops an education in its tracks more than food or or housing insecurity. So this is really great news. I I did not know about the partnership with Whataburger. You know, it's a, we love Whataburger in Texas. (laughs) And so uh, it's a great company. Yeah, it's great to hear that they're providing that service. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement that has swept our country and and ignited millions and just created a sense of a real reckoning of the the issues that are still prevalent around equity and systemic racism. 
I want to dive a little bit into how HBCUs and particularly Grambling, what role are you seeing yourselves play in this movement? And then we'll dive a little bit more into higher ed in general, um, addressing systemic racism in our country. But let's first talk a little bit about how you're harnessing that movement and the role that HBCUs are playing there. HBCUs have always been at the forefront of the the social justice movement. If you think back to the late great congressman, John Lewis, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Jesse Jackson, the list goes on and on, call the role of luminaries and ancestral advocates for justice and peace. So HBCUs continue to be an epicenter for student protests, student advocacy, as well as policy formation. When we think about the Doug Williams Center, first African-American quarterback to win Super Bowl for the Redskins and Grambling graduate, that center that we've created in the last year focuses on race and equity in sports. And those conversations, we have to be integrated in our approach for the movement. Yes, we need protests and performative actions and social media grassroots connections. We also need policy. We also need those of us who are going to champion for those positions of power on corporate boards. And so this is not just a isolated approach to advancing the cause, but it is one that is going to require us all to find our place within that movement and contribute in a positive way. Do you see your counterparts at HBCUs across the country also stepping into those higher profile roles and establishing new centers and new programs to be very strong advocates and to lead us through addressing these issues in our country? I do. I look at counterparts like Fisk University, who has recently established a center in John Lewis's name, or Prairie View A&M, led by the phenomenal Dr. Ruth Simmons, who's looking at areas of, of inclusion and studying factors in that space. The advocacy groups of Thurgood Marshall College Fund, United Negro College Fund, and the new Propel Center out of Atlanta, that's a partnership with Ed Farm and Apple. This moment in time has to be strategically addressed so that it is a continuation of progress. And HBCUs are right at the center of that conversation. Everyone across the country and particularly HBC graduates are proud of the vice president, Kamala Harris, a graduate of Howard University, or Senator Warnock, a graduate of Morehouse College. And so there are opportunities to continue to showcase what HBCU excellence is at the highest levels of leadership and also at the very grassroots ground level of impact. And HBCUs are part of that. Yes, it's wonderful to see your hard work, your colleagues' hard work. It's it's starting to pay off. Um, the American Rescue Plan will eradicate, once all the funds are distributed, about, what, $1.6 billion or so in HBCU debt. And to be freed from that, to do these types of things and to invest in students, I think must be just incredibly rewarding to see. Anything that you want to talk about with regards to that? Is there anything you'd like to mention policy-wise that's happening that that is beneficial and more that you'd like to see in that realm? Absolutely. I appreciate you mentioning that. And Ramlin is a part of that relief package, having 
refinanced our campus living debt through the HBCU cap financing program. You know, that successful legislation is a result of years of advocacy on behalf of HBCUs. I was fortunate to be a part of that at the the ground level, working with Thurgood Marshall College Fund. For us at Gramlin, it is a transformative piece of legislation that allows us not just to reflect our balance sheet in a healthy way, but to start, as you mentioned, thinking about reimagining in our auxiliary space what the evolving needs of our campus are and how we can address that for students. And so it is transformative. We continue to chart new territory to include HBCUs at the table for federal research dollars with the new infrastructure bill that is forthcoming and having opportunities for us to be a part of that. And certainly I know our colleagues across the country are interested in ways to continue to grow the HBCU experience. Yeah, some very good news um, around all of that. A, a key theme I keep Indeed. seeing is just relief, you know, relief that we're all getting vaccinated, relief that there's light at the end of this pandemic tunnel, and then financial relief um, caused by not only the pandemic, but hundreds of years of the systemic inequities. And so it's wonderful to see this finally happening. And, you know, we do know it's, it's, it didn't happen overnight. This is a result of many years of work and these forces of the pandemic and the social injustice and Black Lives Matter movement, you know, all of that coalescing, I think has just made it more, people are more aware now and, and more inspired and ignited to stand together. And so that's the next topic I wanted to explore with you, Martin, is as we all work to advance diversity and inclusion, are you optimistic about the actions taken by higher ed in general around that? And what would be some of the areas where higher ed has done well and where it has fallen short? I am optimistic that, one, we are having the crucial conversation. It, it really starts with having open and honest dialogue and setting, as we do often in higher education, what is our baseline and what is our goal? And as we go through those conversations, it has to be coupled with accountability and a level of transparent performance tracking. So it's one thing to say that this is our statement around diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a more profound thing to say, these are our results and here are our examples of that commitment. And that starts, yes, with the, the profiles of, of our students, the opportunities that exist for our faculty and staff, not just at the entry level, but throughout the ranks and throughout the levels of leadership. We need to be reflective of the communities that we serve. And certainly in higher education, we have seen progress, but I would venture to say that most would agree that we have a long way to go. So I'm committed to working with peer institutions and those across the spectrum, whether it's through groups like the Kubo, as we think about the next generation of leaders in the business officer space, or groups that focus on student development. And so we've got to have the, the conversation, but we have to match that with, with good action and some accountability. Excellent. It's a long road ahead still. Higher ed can sometimes be married to the status quo 
And so as we look at this, particularly in this topic of diversity inclusion, how do we rally higher ed for systemic change in this area? And you talked about accountability. What's some specific advice that you would give your non-HBCU counterparts to foster more diversity inclusion and to be held accountable to those goals? I would start with the talent acquisition strategy. If we don't have a diverse pool of candidates for the next role we're hiring for, whether that's a system analyst or a provost, we'll never have the opportunity to reach those goals. And we must start to look outside of the traditional path of expertise, the common blueprint of pedigree. And one of the arguments that often comes into the education space is around the experience in an HBCU. And we've never questioned our relevancy while others may have. And it is being showcased time and time again that, as we talked about with UNCF, we punch above our weight and we can be competitive in in any situation. And so we've got to include that into the conversation from hiring practices. That's number one. But once you are able to successfully hire a diverse candidate, one who's qualified, one who is, is ready to be a part of the team, you have to focus on retention, particularly in spaces where the overall makeup doesn't reflect their unique identity. So there's so many different levels of microaggressions that exist. And a lot of us can be very unaware of those, but having a a leadership team who's committed to addressing having those crucial conversations and ensuring that there's a pathway not to just recruit the right talent, but also retain them and allow them to be authentic and, and grow and thrive in that environment just as their counterparts are able to do. That's really great advice. And I think our listeners will really appreciate that. Uh, because one of the things that I think does sometimes hold some of our higher ed institutions back is the enormity of the responsibility. And it just feels like a lot to tackle, especially now with everything that's yes. happened with the pandemic. And so giving people just maybe one idea to start with, you know, start with talent acquisition, um, I think is very helpful, Martin. I was reading last night on NPR that the microaggressions that you just mentioned have actually been amped up in virtual environments. And one of the theories is that people are behind a screen and not in person. And so maybe that's what's causing this, even though there's more awareness of these issues and how harmful they are, (laughs) it's actually amped up in the workplace during the pandemic. Do you have any advice for our listeners, uh, many of whom are administrators working remotely, working in virtual environments, or how to make it through this last wave of remote working? And then some of us may end up in a hybrid environment where we're doing some days at home, some days at the office, once we're all feeling comfortable that we've reached a certain level of herd immunity. But do you have any advice for for those of us who are going to continue to work from home to foster that inclusion and to celebrate that diversity and address if you're feeling that you're a victim of microaggressions or of other types of harassment, that you can speak up about it? Do you have any advice for listeners on that? It's a tough one. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's thought-provoking, and it's certainly something, I believe we have a, another podcast in, in the future, right, just on 
navigating remote work. When I think about that question, you know, the more we know, the, the kinder we are. And it, it really starts with conversation and understanding that the way I navigate the world it may be very different than the way you navigate. Uh, I think about the, the space of pronouns and inclusions in, in the equity space. I was having a conversation with a colleague once before, and he said, well, I don't know how to address this person. And I said, well, you can ask them. And so having those one-on-one conversations is very important understanding the nuances that exist for our colleagues and having the the level of empathy that resides in each and every one of us to take a step out of our own shoes and try to walk for a minute in someone else's. And that process is one that requires a deeper level of, of commitment to say, I didn't see colleague X on video for the last three calls and everybody else was on on video by request. And so I don't want to make an assumption around what that causation was, but I want to have a conversation to understand what is going on or what is not going on. Right. And so it, it really starts with with a level of, of empathy and an individual approach to to connectedness. I'll tell you, as a, as a leader with a growing organization, it is required even more of me in a virtual environment to be successful, to to understand, to to go the extra mile. But it is so necessary. And I certainly know that it's important to our team that we take that time and we do it. Uh, and sometimes, Teresa, that means taking time away as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so focusing on that that mental health and awareness component is also key. So a lot to unpack there. But I, I think if I were recapping it for you, for me, it starts with the, the individual conversation and understanding. Very, very wise words. And Martin, I, I do, I would love to have you back to talk through remote work ideas and and learnings because I, I don't think there's any going back fully now for some people <laughs> to the office. Um, we, we've proven this can work and it has its downsides, but what a wonderful note to start to wrap our conversation around listening and practicing empathy. Those two things can change the world. And I hope that our listeners take that to heart because it is key. And I think it's something that the HBC can teach other higher ed institutions and our country in general is just listen and be empathetic and the power of that. I want to ask you one last question. Um, And I think I'm going to, this is our inaugural podcast, but I've been thinking about what question can I ask our guests that everyone will have a different answer to. Okay. And so I'm going to ask you, what do you wish for higher ed? If you had one wish, what would it be for higher ed? One wish would be that we are able to deliver on sustainable change. I've been fortunate over the past, coming up on five years here at Gramlin to formulate new partnerships. The partnership we have with Apogee, the partnerships with campus dining or within our print shop facility and other things. We as a higher ed community are highly focused on people. And I think that's a big part of our strength. The other side to my wish of maintainable change is around process. And if we are able to combine a great strategy on maintaining 
the best people, treating them well, and ensuring that they have a viable career, if we can get the component of the process strength that matches the people strength we have today, the higher ed community is well prepared to to face whatever changes are going to come. And so that wish is is pretty big ask, but you put it out there. So I'm gonna <laughs> tap on the desk and and ask the universe to to respond that we're able to do that. And it really will prepare institutions, HBCUs and higher ed communities across the country for a great future. I love that, Martin. Thank you for those inspiring words, because that's what I'm hoping that question will foster is what is that wish? And sustainable changes is great. I think as hard as the pandemic has been, we've all learned so much and these lessons will serve us well moving forward in whatever we may end up doing. It'll serve our students well. And I'm looking forward to seeing the world hopefully change and and learn from this and, and do things differently. And like you said, let's have some sustainable change. Let's listen and let's be empathetic. Martin, thank you so much for being here today and for kicking off our Modern Campus podcast, sharing your wonderful thoughts. And I am looking forward to having you back. We are definitely going to sit down and dissect the remote work conundrum and challenge. (laughs) I look forward to that. I look forward to it as well. Thanks so much for having me. You're so welcome. Thank you.